Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, Sheila Zielinski. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining me today for this Thursday, June 16th edition of the Sheila Zielinski Show. I broadcast Monday to Friday, that's weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, And on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern, right here on WINB. Hey, to find out more ways to listen, including the podcast and that customized app, which, by the way, I'm getting some great feedback on, that's the Weekend Vigilante app, go to the Listen tab on the menu at WeekendVigilante.com. Hey, downloading that podcast, that's a really good idea for those of you on the go. And if you have not already done so, please add me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and especially YouTube. All those icons are located at the top right of my website. I am really trying to build my social media up. And sign up for the free e-newsletter. That's coming out tomorrow. So make sure that you do sign up for that. It's free And I do send out alerts, bulletins, and try to keep you informed on what's going on. I send that out once a month. Well, I want to jump right into the show. My guest today, he really needs no introduction. In fact, I could spend the entire show just laying out his impressive arsenal of work. And it is the renowned one and only Dr. Tom Horn, the founder of Skywatch TV, a renowned best-selling prophecy author, and a very well-known radio and TV personality. And he joins me today to talk about his latest book, The Final Roman Emperor, The Islamic Antichrist, and The Vatican's Last Crusade. And he just won a second Telly Award. So congratulations on Defender Films for that win. And it is my distinct pleasure to have him back on the program. Dr. Tom Horn, thank you for coming on the show today. Hey, it's great to be with you again, Sheila, as always. Tom, we see so much unfolding right now, incredible things coming out of the Vatican. My listeners, of course, very well acquainted with your work, Petrus Romanus, Exo-Vaticana, On the Path of the Immortals. How did this newest book on the final emperor, how did this evolve? I guess you could say this is kind of a fourth and final part of that series. Yeah, and like you say, you know, that probably most of your audience is very familiar with our previous works. This is the final book, by the way, in this series from me and Chris Putnam, and it's amazing how this whole investigation came full circle. You know, we we started out about four years ago, and it was a whole series of preternatural kind of things that we don't have time on a one-hour program to talk about, but really supernatural events that brought me and Chris Putnam together. We didn't know each other at that time, but I had been talking to my son about how I found it interesting that nobody had done a thorough examination of the ancient prophecy of the popes, which is a prophecy that's really famous, especially in Catholic circles, and that is allegedly 900 years old, and that was given by a Catholic seer, an Irish bishop by the name of Malachi Morgare, who had allegedly had a vision uh, in the 1100s while he was in Rome in which he saw every pope that would exist from that day and forward to the final one, who he called Petrus Romanus, or Peter the Roman. Um, What's interesting about this is about four years ago, we knew that Pope Benedict XVI was the next to the last pope on that list. There were 112 popes that were listed. Benedict was pope number 111. 
And so that's why the conversation came up. You know, why has nobody taken this ancient prophecy and written a thorough examination of it? Because, you know, whether you believe that it was divinely inspired, like a lot of Catholics and even popes did down through uh, time, uh, or whether you believe that maybe it was demonically inspired and would play some role in deception, or whether you believe it was just a fraudulent document that was, you know, ascribed to Malachi and he, he never gave it and it was just something somebody made up. No matter what you made of it, it was a really old prophecy and it was getting ready to come to an end. So for me, if for no other reason than just the historicity, it begged for somebody to do this research. So anyway, bottom line, Chris Putnam and I got involved in investigating this and it it was an amazing one year uh, investigation that put us in contact with Catholic mystics, some of them who did believe that it was true, but then they were warning that this final pope was going to be a deceiver. Why? Because the ancient priest Francis of Assisi had prophesied about the final pope and said that he would be a deceiver, a destroyer. And so that's why you could have knocked me and Chris Putnam over with a with a leaf when Pope Francis, who knows that he is Pope number 112, the final one on the list, actually took Francis of Assisi as his namesake. So that was pretty extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, but what really made that first book famous and what really launched this greater investigation that has ultimately wound up being four whole books to get it done was around page 450 in our book, Petrus Romanus, we made the prediction that Pope Benedict was going to step down, that he would be the first pope to do this in 600 or so years. He was going to abdicate the, the Petrine office and that he was going to claim it, that he was doing so for health reasons. Not only did we predict that he was going to step down, we said we believed it was going to happen in April of 2012. So we really went out on a limb in the book, which was published before Benedict stepped down, and then, to make matters even more titillating, you know, when I was on the Jim Baker show one day, I said, I not only believe it's possible, I believe it's going to happen. I predict that it's going to happen. I did that on Sid Roth's program, too. So now people were really watching. You know, if, if Tom Horn is wrong about this, then we can say that he's not a prophet at all. So then what happened was 2012 came and went, Right. And there was no announcement about the Pope stepping down, and we were getting emails from people, ha-ha, see, you're wrong, uh, you made a false prediction and all that. Then what the world now knows is that in February 2013, the Vatican makes the announcement that Pope Benedict has resigned from the office of the Pope, and that same day, and people can Google this and read it, the El Observatorio Romano, which is uh, the Vatican's official news media outlet, they gave an interview with the New York Times. And during that interview, they admitted that Pope Benedict had actually officially, secretly resigned to the Vatican Courier, the Vatican government, at the end of a trip in March 2012 and made it official in April of 2012 but only secretly just to a handful of cardinals, because you remember, Sheila, at that time they were having the whole Vatty Leaks scandal, yeah. uh, and there were cardinals who were giving up secrets, and they were trying to put a lid on it. So Benedict made it top secret, only a handful of very trusted cardinals made it official to them April 2012, the very date that we predicted that he would. Well, my phone lit up. I mean everybody, from Fox News to CNN in Rome. The History Channel wanted us on one of their programs. It just went crazy. <laughs> and basically what people wanted to know was, okay, who was your insider at the Vatican that leaked this information to you? Right. And I laughingly say today that if we would have told him it was the Holy Spirit, that would have really confused him, right? <laughs> So, but that's what launched this whole thing, and then really put a lot of pressure on me and Chris to dig even deeper, to go further down the rabbit hole, as people say. And it seemed like every rock we uncovered had a new mystery underneath it that somehow seemed to be connected like a spider web in so many different ways and directions to a deeper issue here. And that was, had the cardinals, had they been electing popes down through time and on very specific dates, 
and giving them names so that they could be seen as a fulfillment of the prophecy of the popes. And if they were doing that, why were they doing that? Why were they following this kind of like a roadmap? Now, the other thing, and, and this is what led to the, the second book, of course, that we also did programs with you on all of these books, as I recall, was that whenever we were doing shows then on the prophecy of the popes and people would call in, many times what they were saying was, yeah, uh, but what do you make of the Vatican being out there now talking so much about aliens? Because recall, right around the same time of the VatiLeak scandals, the uh, Vatican had some of its top astronomers out there saying we would baptize aliens into the Catholic faith, and it's more likely than not that the aliens are real uh, and that they exist. And if they do, then these would be our brothers. Remember that? All the strange kind of yeah. things they were saying. Now, people ask us, you know, why are they out there talking about this? Right? Is this connected to the prophecy of the popes? Is something about to appear in the heavens? Are they getting us ready for some kind of official disclosure? I mean, what, what do you think is going on? Well, we knew that the only way to get to the bottom of that and to have an authoritative answer was that Chris Putnam and I were going to have to go to the top of Mount Graham in Arizona where the Vatican has an advanced telescope and where they work with an international observatory group. That's also where the Lucifer device is at in the large binocular telescope. And we knew that we had to get to the top of that mountain in order to talk to the Jesuits up there and get firsthand why they were talking now about aliens and was there any connection. And, of course, that's what led to the second book, Ex of Vaticana. And the bottom line is, in each one of these books, Petrus Romanus, the second one, Ex of Vaticana, last year's On the Path of the Immortals, which was a follow-up to Mount Graham, and then finally this last book, The Final Roman Emperor, in each one of these, we kept finding one very common denominator, and that was ancient prophecies of the Cume Sibyl, of the prophetesses of the god Apollo, uh, which, of course, is connected to Rome and Washington, D.C. And the fragments of her prophecies that were published from the early church age all the way down through the medieval ages and these prophecies were held in high esteem by the Vatican. And, of course, if you go to the Vatican today and you go inside the Sistine Chapel and you look up onto the ceiling at the famous paintings by Michelangelo, not only do you see the Old Testament prophets there, but here are five of the Sibyls of Apollo, including the Cume Sibyl, who was considered to be the most powerful of them all, and hers is the prophecy that is also on the Great Seal of the United States of America, talking about the second coming of Apollo. But it was in the middle centuries when the most famous of her prophecies was really taken up. In fact, not only became uh, espoused by the Vatican and Rome, but many of the Catholic Church's top theologians made it what was called the, the great monarch prophecy, or the coming of the final Roman emperor. So they took her prophecies, and including those of the Tibertine Sibyl, uh, that were talking about the coming of Apollo, and they changed it to refer to the coming of a great final Roman emperor who would work with a final pope. And so all of this is the way this is all tied together is actually astonishing. But right now, if people listening to this program, if they go on Google and type in the great monarch, Catholic prophecy, or the final Roman emperor, they'll see where a lot of Catholic blog sites right now, and even Catholic television shows that deal with prophecy, right now are talking about this prophecy that was so famous throughout medieval uh, times. It was actually the number one eschatology throughout all of the Dark Ages for the Roman Catholic Church. It's being revitalized right now. That's very much tied in. Chris, uh, he was the one that did most of the actual theological research and the deep historical research into the origins of that prophecy and why it was so meaningful to the Catholic Church. Yes, and I'm going to have Chris get into that next week. But what we really have here, Tom, is this eclectic mishmash of mysticism, pagan prophecies, the Jewish Kabbalah, the Zohar, as you mentioned, the Kume Sibyl, the prophecy on the Great Seal, which, of course, ties in with the ceremonies of all these 
33rd degree masons, these presidential inaugurations, the obelisk, the raising of Osiris, as the Egyptians call him, the Greeks call him Apollo. I call him the son of perdition, Apollyon. Well, it was you that wrote Apollyon Rising, which ties into Zenith 2016. Speaking of 2016, that really ties into all these prophecies. Oh, and speaking of the obelisk, Tom, what we're about to see here in D.C. this July, it's this who's who of the ecumenical movement with their special guest coming in by satellite, the one world pope himself, the poster boy really for this ecumenical movement. Wow, when you sort of connect all the dots, don't you think, Tom, this reeks of the perfect setup for what you're talking about here? It absolutely does. And you mentioned the year 2016 and how it's connected to all of these prophecies. And I did write the book, Zenith 2016, which really was not setting dates. It was asking why were there so many ancient cultures, some of them from hundreds of years ago, and and including turn-of-the-century Protestant preachers who were setting the year 2016 as the time when the Antichrist would appear, including the famous preacher Jonathan Edwards, who wrote letters to Yale University and making his argument and why he thought the Antichrist and the false prophet would rise in the year 2016. This, you know, happening from hundreds of years ago. But other prophecies, as you mentioned, 700 years ago, the Zohar, thousands of years ago, uh, other cultures pointing to 2016. Well, guess what? When we were doing the research for this final book, uh, uh, the final Roman emperor, once again, this year, 2016, turns up from 800 years ago, Catholic theologians, and I'll give that to you in just a second. But so that people are really clear what we're talking about here, we wrote Petrus Romanus, we wrote Ex of Vaticana, last year we put out Path of the Immortals. Every one of these are tied. They're built upon each other. They're like four building blocks or a foundation, one on top of the other. This final one is talking about a last Roman emperor, a last world figure. And this figure from medieval legend was the um, most important part of eschatology for the Roman Catholic Church throughout the Middle Ages. And this is a legend that predicts that in the end times, a last emperor is going to appear on earth, and he's going to reestablish the Holy Roman Empire out of the Vatican as part of both religious but also a socialist monarchy, a dictatorship, if you will. And what's spooky about this is this prophecy actually turns everything backward from what evangelicals believe. What do I mean by that? Evangelicals believe that the next thing that's going to happen is the rise of the Antichrist and a false prophet who are going to be part of a seven-year tribulation period. This is very classic dispensationalism, but a seven-year period of tribulation At the end of that, Jesus Christ is going to return, called the Second Coming, and he's going to make war against the Antichrist. Now, that's classic dispensationalism. But the Roman emperor theology turns that absolutely around backward. It says that this final Roman emperor and his, what's called the angelic pope, his, what some might call the false prophet, the pope that's going to help him out of the Vatican, they're actually the good guys. And they're going to save the world and bring peace to the world. But then the Antichrist is going to appear, claiming to be Christ, and they're going to make war against him. So you see how this actually turns everything totally backward and sets up the Roman Catholic Church for great deception. It literally sets them up to accept the coming of the Antichrist and the false prophet as the good guys and to be at war with Jesus in his second coming. So it's a very strange kind of prophecy. Now, let me give you some of the the, the really key points to this book that tie in to the Sybil's prophecy. Number one, she says that this final Roman emperor is going to arrive when a final pope has arrived. Well, if you believe Malachi and Old Morgare's prophecy of the popes, like many Catholics do, and which I think Francis does, and I think that's why he named himself Francis after Francis of Assisi, who also prophesied about the final pope, then the final pope is here. And the Sibylline from thousands of years ago said this final emperor is going to arrive when there is a final pope, an angelic pope, who's going to help him rise his power. 
Something even more specific that she said is this. She said democracy would be seen as a failed system in the world's mind, and there would be a push to return to a global monarchy or a dictatorship with socialist leanings. That's the reason why this is called the great monarch prophecy or the final Roman emperor, because the world is going to start moving away from democracy and instead prefer a dictatorship once again. Well, when you look at what Pope Francis has been saying, it's as if he's got this prophecy foremost in his mind, and he is certainly calling for the United Nations to give real teeth to a socialist agenda. You wrote the book, of course, on how environmentalism is even a part of this, and that, too, is part of the Sibylline's prophecy. And by the way, it was also a part of the book that was written by Malachi Martin, in which he said that if the Jesuits ever take control of the Vatican, and he was a Jesuit, uh, he said they will use environmentalism, socialism, Marxism to turn the Vatican into a machine of the new world order and the coming of the Antichrist. So it literally looks as if both modern and ancient prophecy is playing out right in front of us. Now, look at the United States, and we're learning that something like 90% of Americans now are disillusioned with democracy. 50% of Americans, 30 years and younger, or the upcoming generation, prefer socialism over capitalism and would vote for somebody like a Bernie Sanders, who is an avowed socialist. So these prophecies really do look like they are coming to fruition now. Thirdly, this global monarchy, this dictatorship, according to the Sybil, is what is going to give rise to her golden age prophecy, the Novus Ordo Seclorum, the second coming of Apollo that is on the great seal of the United States of America, that even further uh, puts the nail in the lid, if you will, as to who this person, who, what their identity actually is, because the prophecy on the great seal says, "'Tis thine own Apollo who will reign." It names him literally. This is the second coming of Apollo. But the New Testament in more than one place tells us that the spirit that will be incarnate within the Antichrist is the spirit of Apollo. The Apostle Paul said to the Thessalonians, he will be the son of perdition, and the Greek word there, perdition, is Apollyon, Apollyon, Apollo. The book of Revelation says the beast will rise up out of the bottomless pit and go into Apollia, Apollo. So the New Testament tells us that this spirit that the Sybil prophesied as this next coming global leader will indeed be a global leader and will be the Antichrist. Um, now, at the core of this last emperor, and these are all details that are spelled out in, in a lot of words, 700 and some end notes. I mean, you know, we, we did a terrific job, I think, uh, chronicling everything, verifying everything that's in this book. But at the core of this uh, emperor is also another idea that is astonishing to me, Sheila, in that it says that this angelic pope, I don't know if that's a you know, fallen angel or what that is, but this angelic pope will work with this final Roman emperor to do something else. Very specifically, she spells this out, and that is to drive the apostates out of both the Mohammedan religions, Judaism, and Christianity. So, there will be an intentional effort to identify the troublemakers, if you will, in the Muslim faith, in Christianity, and in Judaism to combine these three religions into a harmonious religion. So keep that in mind when you think that just a couple weeks ago Pope Francis gave an interview, chock full, basically, of commentary torn from the Sibyl's prophecy, which he said, quote, it is true that the idea of conquest Conquest is totally a part of this prophecy, is inherent in the soul of Islam, he said. However, he said it is also possible to interpret the objective in Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus sends his disciples to all nations in terms of the same idea of conquest. So Pope Francis sounds like the angelic pope. He is saying, yeah, there's, there's troublemakers in Christianity, too, that are equivalent to Islamic radicals, and both have to be expunged in order to create a harmonious religion in which we can all live in peace. He even went on in that same lecture to say that Muslim migrants throughout Europe need to be breeding with the white Europeans in order to assure their growing dominance and their presence, which this final Roman emperor prophecy 
says will happen. It specifically names Europe and talks about this integration and the expulsion of those who won't go away with the plan. That was like two weeks ago now. Now, just last week, Pope Francis actually embraces the top imam in a historic meeting at the Vatican, and he makes this cryptic announcement in which he said, our meeting is the message. And now you've got Catholic mystics out there saying, what? Our meeting is the message? And I can tell you, by the way, because we still are in contact with some very conservative Catholic mystics that have helped us with all four of these books, and they are really now starting to think that Pope Francis could be the false prophet of the Apocalyptica because he literally invited Muslims to come into the Vatican and to make prayers there to their Muslim god, and now he's reaching across you know, his uh, olive leaf saying that you know, we can all work together, but we've got to work to try to get rid of the people that won't go along with the scheme. And then, like you said, you know, just here in a few weeks, he's going to stand in front of the obelisk, Think of the symbolism here, by the way. And he's going to address an ecumenical meeting of Christians who are all coming together, and many of whom are saying this is finally the evangelical pope. He is our pope. We love him. He speaks for us. So there is something, something really weird. But let me quickly make this point about 2016, which you brought up, because there's something of real interest that came out during our research on the final Roman emperor. There was an abbot by the name of, and people can look this up, by the name of Wardin di Otrante. He was a 12th century abbot. So 800 years ago, he was analyzing the uh, prophecy of the great monarch, the final Roman emperor. And here's what he wrote. We have this in the book, and we have the end notes to the book where people can go and verify this for themselves. But he wrote this, The great monarch and the great pope will precede the Antichrist. The nations will then go to war for four years, and a great part of the world will be destroyed. All the sects will vanish. There again, he's talking about the, the expulsion of conservative Christians from Christianity and radical Islam from Muhammad religions. All the sects will vanish. Then he says this, the capital of the world will fall. Now, he doesn't say who the capital of the world is. Then he says this, the pope will go over the sea carrying the sign of redemption on his forehead. What's going to be on his forehead? The sign of redemption, he says, on his forehead. The only thing I know out of the book of Revelation about the, a final pope, a false prophet, is that he is going to help the beast cause all, both rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead, without which no man might buy or sell. He's going to help give a life to the image of the beast and cause that as many as won't worship the image of the beast, that they should be put to death. So, again, I'm not sure what he's talking about here, but this pope is going to have something on his forehead. And after the victory, re-quoting now, of the pope and great monarch, peace will reign on earth. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. Quote, the pope will cross the sea in a year when the Feast of St. George, that's April 23rd, falls on Good Friday, and St. Mark's Feast, that's April 25th, falls on Easter Sunday, and the Feast of St. Anthony, that's June 13th, falls on Pentecost, and the Feast of St. John the Baptist, that's June 24th, falls on Corpus Christi. So he gives a very, very specific set of circumstances, rare set of circumstances, that will happen uh, when this is all going to occur. Well, guess what? The concurrence of those feasts are only going to take place in the year 2038, not before. Now, the war of the great monarch, because you have to start counting backwards now in the whole series of events. The war of the great monarch uh, lasts four years. The pope crosses the sea to Europe, according to the prophecy, from what sounds like the United States, where the Holy See is going to be in exile, according to the prophecy, uh, from the latter part of World War III until the end of a World War IV. So if you count these backward, we do this in the book, but if you count these backward, the Pope crosses the sea, therefore, in 2038, and therefore the, w the war has to end in 2037. So you start counting backwards four years, you wind up... Uh, as Europe being occupied during the 2020s, and so counting four years backward, the war in which the Muslim extremists conquer Europe, this has to begin in the year 2016 to the year 2017. So do we make anything of that? Are we saying that, that 
the great monarch is going to appear and this great war is all going to begin sometime this year, next year, I don't know. But once again, I mean, it literally caused the hair to stand up over my, uh, off my neck after I had already written a book showing all of these different ancient prophets who all pointed to this very period in time, saying 2016 to 2017, that's why my book was called Zenith 2016, that this will be the year that the false prophet and the Antichrist appear on earth. And so here we go. We have a pope who is the final one in the prophecy of the popes. He is a believer in prophecy. He's even said publicly that people need to get ready for the end times. He is calling on the U.N. to give real teeth to a socialist program. Americans and the rest of the world seem ready to abandon democracy and to accept a new kind of dictatorship or a monarchy. And every other part of prophecy right now definitely does feel and sense as if the Antichrist could appear at any moment. And the book just came out, but we have already received several emails from people that have said this book is chilling, and we've had several who have said the book actually has scared them a lot. Uh, and we are not about fear. We don't want to scare people. We're only trying to make information available to people and to be very thorough in terms of our theology and our examination of these ancient texts. But there very much does seem to be something now that is boiling just beneath the surface and a lot of the international players seem to be prepping themselves for their role in an ancient scheme. Well, ancient scheme, I mean, you, you mentioned that word hair-raising, Tom, and as you brought up with the Pope, he's running around talking about the UN every other week. Obama's hinted at a post-presidency occupancy of the United Nations. He actually expressed several times he wanted to head the United Nations a few times now on the news. It's really hair-raisingly astonishing how these ancient prophecies are playing out like a present-day newspaper. So, Tom, let me ask you this. Is it safe to say the... So there's a connection there between the great Catholic monarch and the Mahdi, which it looks like are borrowed from the same ancient source, the Apocalypse of Methodius. And of course, you know what we've seen during this last few weeks, very tragic with radical Islam. When you look at the Hadith concerning the Mahdi, I guess the question is, how does the Islamic State or ISIS figure into all this end-time prophecy equation? Yeah, that's part of the research that Chris Putnam did in the book. He did all the historical background on that, and it was actually even a surprise to me to learn that the that ISIS, their 1,300-year-old hadith, which has the prophecies that are uh, ascribed to Muhammad uh, in those sacred writings, the, the one that they are following very clearly talks about how in the end times, the faithful Mohammedan religion, which they claim to be, would form an end times caliphate, a world government, if you will, that will overtake the whole world. Uh, and they will go to war, according to that prophecy, against the armies of Rome. Now, of course, Rome today doesn't have an army. But the way that this is imagined in our book as being able to be fulfilled, in fact, I make predictions around this too, is that ISIS, if ISIS uses a weapon of mass destruction, which I have prophesied in this new book, um, it will be of such a scale as to finally cause the United States, NATO, and Russia's already engaging them to quit pussyfooting around and to declare a real war against the Islamic State. I think what's going to happen is something very, very similar to the first Iraq war in that uh, the United Nations and other nations are going to come together and call for a coordinated military attack where you've got representatives, even some of the Muslim nations are going to send token you know, amounts of soldiers. It'll mostly be made up from the United Nations and Europe and, and maybe Russia. But what's going to happen is this, that the Pope, Francis, uh, who is already, he's been hinting at this a lot. In fact, he's been using language that is literally taken right out of the Catholic catechism that describes what's called just war theory. Yeah. Uh, and the whole idea around just war is that there are times when war is justified, and it requires certain things to be happening for war to be justified or sanctioned by the church. And Pope Francis has been using key words taken from that catechism. And at the right moment, he too is going to join. He is going to publicly call us the Pope, who is you know, thought of as the leader of the largest Christian organization in the world. He is going to call for just war theory, 
to be reenacted to sanction a war against ISIS. Uh, now, when he does that, what's going to happen then is that the Islamic State is going to see that as this army being brought together under the banner of Rome, of a final uh, a conquest, if you will. And that's why on the front cover of their magazine, Dabiq, they have a picture that shows their flag flying on the top of the obelisk in the middle of St. Peter's Square. And they've, they've even put out a whole video uh, that was slickly done showing their armies advancing on the Colosseum and advancing on Rome and destroying the Vatican. They've said they're going to kill the Pope. Uh, the Pope has responded to it by saying he's willing to be sacrificed if that's what God wants. And don't forget that the prophecy of the Pope's and also some of the famous Marian apparitions, Fatima and others, saw the Pope dying in the middle of the street, surrounded by a bunch of dead religious people, which sounds like this takes place in the middle of the Vatican. That's why if you look at the front cover of our new book, The Final Roman Emperor, uh, The Islamic Antichrist, and the Vatican's Last Crusade, you see uh, St. Peter's Square in ruins and the flag of ISIS flying on the top of the obelisk, because we believe that ISIS at that point is going to see this as the playing out of the fulfillment of their Mahdi prophecy, that they would go to war against the armies of Rome, and then the Mahdi, the 12th Imam, is going to return, who is their Messiah. Then they talk about Isa, Jesus, coming down, and he's going to spear the Dajjal, which is the Antichrist. So they have all of the same classical figures, Uh, in this prophecy that is held as the core belief system of the Islamic State. But what uh, Chris Putnam was able to discover is that that was actually plagiarized from the prophecy of the Kume Sibyl and the Tibertine Sibyl throughout the Middle Ages. They literally, what they did was they took the prophecies that were being made famous by the Catholic Church at that time in their great monarch belief system, and they literally just rewrote it, uh, but turned all of the characters into their heroes. And so what's literally happening right now is you have both the Islamic State and the Vatican both working towards the fulfillment of a medieval prophecy that is ascribed to Methodius, who was an early church father, but he didn't actually, he didn't actually write it, but it was said at the time that he did. And uh, that's what's called the, the prophecy of Pseudo-Methodius, because we're not even exactly sure, other than the Kume Sibyl, who took her prophecies and then kind of recooked them and tried to Christianize them, if you will. But the prophecies exist before they were Christianized. So we have the original ones, from which we actually quote in the book, but it's interesting how even early church fathers like Justin, by the way, uh, quoted these prophecies and thought, okay, she's got to be talking about the coming of Jesus Christ. The Catholic Church says the final Roman emperor. The Islamic State says, no, it's talking about the coming of the Mahdi. They're all following an ancient blueprint towards an epic moment in time, and each one of them right now are actually aligning themselves in such a way as to be a fulfillment of these prophecies. So that's why the title of the book, The Final Roman Emperor, The Islamic Antichrist, The Vatican's Last Crusade. Well, it's such an incredibly compelling book title in itself is enough to just make you want to read this thing. As you've said, Tom, there were these Catholic scholars, too, down through the ages that also believed Rome would fall into apostasy and set itself up for a demonic anti-pope and become the seat of the Antichrist. Do you believe the Catholics here have set themselves up for deception? And if so, why? Yeah, well, they've set themselves up for deception because, again, they're looking for the coming of a great emperor and an angelic pope who is going to save the world from itself through a dictatorship. And then when the Antichrist arrives, they'll go to war against the Antichrist. That's absolutely backward from what uh, evangelicals believe we're facing the coming of the Antichrist, a false prophet, a false pope, who will then go to war against the second coming of Jesus Christ. So if you see what I'm saying, that, there, that this belief system is a great setup for deception that will cause them to accept the Antichrist. Now, when I said evangelicals, I should include there's also, as you said, a lot of uh, conservative Roman Catholics who also not only believe this today, but have believed this throughout the Middle Ages, since all the way back to the early church fathers. And this is an interesting thing. A a lot of modern Catholics who don't 
attend church very often or who don't really know much about, haven't paid attention to the mystical beliefs of the Catholics, the prophetic or eschatological beliefs of Rome's theologians, it comes as a surprise to them to learn that the idea that Rome would become the seat of the Antichrist was a very common eschatology among a lot of high-level Catholic scholars of the past. Now, if people want to verify that, go to Google and look up the writings of the celebrated theologian Cardinal Henry Manning, who was a convert to Catholicism. And he talks all about how Rome is going to fall and become the seat of the Antichrist. Look up the writings of Bishop Salvatore Zola, who says the same thing. Look up the writings of Frederick William Helley, and so numerous many others. But of course, in more recent years, there have been numerous highly placed church experts that have asserted that not only is Rome going to fall to the Antichrist, but that this is going to happen because there are Satan worshipers who are very real and very powerful, who reach all the way up into the top of the College of Cardinals inside the uh, walls of the Holy See. Monsignor Luigi Marinelli, he wrote a book in 1999 called Gone with the Wind in the Vatican. It sold 100,000 copies in the first 20 days. Get that book and read it, he, how he talks about Satanism being practiced by cardinals at the Vatican. Um, there was an, uh, an exorcist by the name of Archbishop Emmanuel Milango. He's still alive. And a speech at Our Lady of Fatima 2000, which is interesting because the Fatima prophecy also talks about Rome falling into apostasy and the destruction of the Pope. Sounds very much like it's taken from the prophecy of the popes. But in 2000, uh, Archbishop Milango he said that very high-ranking members of the church hierarchy, he said this at the Our Lady of Fatima 2000 International Conference on World Peace, he said that very high-ranking members are in league with Satan. And then, of course, you know, you have Malachi Martin. In fact, Malachi Martin, when Emmanuel Malango said that, it raised so much fear and concern among a lot of the, the laity that the Catholic magazine, the Fatima Crusader, they interviewed Malachi Martin about the alarm raised over what Malungo had said, that the high-ranking Vatican officials were followers of Satan and they were working to turn the Vatican into a seat of uh, the Antichrist. And Malachi replied, I've got it written down right in front of me, he said, quote, anybody who's acquainted with the state of affairs in the Vatican in the last 35 years is well aware that the Prince of Darkness has had and continues to have his surrogates in the court of St. Peter uh, in Rome. So um, this, this was a common eschatology up until this generation. But even in this generation, there have been those brave Vatican spokespersons that have come forward and they have said, absolutely, this is going on. Don't forget that it was Malachi who also talked about the enthronement of Lucifer, the archangel uh, at the Vatican. He had a lot to say about a lot of this stuff. And back in those days, some of those same cardinals that didn't like what he was revealing said, well, he's just a liar, he's just making this all up. Uh, but he was at that same time talking about the pedophilism that was happening between the priests and young boys. They said, this is all just a bunch of baloney, it's not happening. Well, time has increasingly revealed that what Malachi Martin, when he was a Jesuit, and when he left the Vatican, and by the way, for people not familiar with him, he wasn't just a Jesuit. He was a formidable polyglot that worked for three popes. He could speak 17 languages. He worked inside the Holy See translating the Dead Sea Scrolls for the Vatican. He was the personal secretary to Augustine B., the most famous Jesuit priest in history. So he was absolutely a guy that was in the know and behind the scenes. And when he got leave of his priestly duties and moved to New York City and started writing books and became a New York Times best-selling author, the things that he was talking about were absolutely astonishing to a lot of people. But time now has proven what he said about why the Vatican was on the top of Mount Graham in Arizona, what he said about satanic priests who were using young boys in pedophilic rituals for the purposes of incarnating a Luciferian spirit into a priest who would ultimately become the final pope. In fact, he even wrote a book called The Final Conclave. So much of what we're talking about today has been in his works for a long time, and only now is there a real revival around his works, and people are digging these books back out now, and they're <laughs> reading them, and they're going, oh my gosh. And furthermore, his book, The Jesuits, where he talks about a secret war, 
going on between the Jesuits and the rest of the priesthood. And he said, if the day ever come where the Jesuits take control of the papacy, they will turn it into a machine of the new world order and the Antichrist. And here's how they will do it, he said. Socialism, Marxism, they'll call for the United Nations to give real strength. They'll try to combine themselves with political uh, authorities. It, it literally reads as if Pope Francis has taken Malachi Martin's book, The Jesuits, and is using it as a roadmap for his current religious and political agenda. Wow. When you step back and take a macro view here, that's very incredible. Well, your book is out now, Tom, and of course, you make some big predictions in it. What do you see coming here, Tom? Well, the biggest predictions, of course, that I make in there is that, um, the, that ISIS is going to use a weapon of mass destruction. Uh, and it is going to be of such scale that it is going to cause the Pope to call for the rejuvenation of the Christian rules for just war. It's going to cause NATO, the United States, Russia, and others um, to come together to declare a significant war, a coalition army, if you will, to make war, to stamp out ISIS. ISIS, of course, is going to see it as a fulfillment of their prophecy because they're going to see this fighting under the banner of Rome, as I explained a moment ago. And now I go into a lot of detail. There's a lot of pages in there where I detail all the bits and parts of how that is going to happen. The upside to this is I also make another prediction, and that is out of this conflict is going to come the next great awakening. And I make the case in the book that just like at the end of World War II, and back then, of course, we didn't have mass information transit. We didn't have the Internet or anything like it. We didn't even, you know, at the end of World War II, there wasn't even really much television. And so I make the case, however, that at the end of World War II, as the world slowly learned what was going on in the Holocaust, that it suddenly did two things. One, it gave real legs to the Zionist movement. There, there had already, all the way through World War II, there had been uh, an attempt by different uh, rabbis to push for Zionism, that is for Jews from around the world to come back into the Holy Land to have their own nation state again, because at that time they were still dispersed. Uh, And, you know, Britain really wasn't paying any attention to it. The U.S. wasn't paying any attention to it. They couldn't get any real international clout around the idea. But then when the world learned about the Holocaust, when they learned about Dachau, when they learned about Auschwitz, when they learned about the gas chambers, literally the millions of Jews that had been exterminated by the Nazi regime, all of a sudden there was kind of an international outcry that was in favor of the idea of the Jews having their own nation-state. Well, ultimately that led to 1948 and the declaration of a Jewish state, and Jews from around the world returned to their uh, biblical homeland, and now once again they have state. The second thing that happened was the Christian church, which was stagnant at that time, suddenly woke up to this idea that Israel had been born in a single day once again. And they tied that to what is called the fig tree prophecy, which uh, many had for a long time said that when the nation of Israel blossoms again, when the nation comes back to life, there will be one generation, Jesus said, until all things are fulfilled. And so what happened was the church woke up, and they started preaching, we are in the end times, the second coming of Jesus Christ is at hand. Israel, the fig tree has blossomed, the, the, the nation of Israel has come back to life. And uh, what happened was it ignited such a prophetic movement within especially evangelical Christianity that it gave birth to what today we call the Age of Fire, uh, where you had the, the rise of Billy Graham and Oral Roberts and Catherine Kuhlman and all of those great preachers that came out of the 50s and the 60s and the 70s that ultimately gave birth to another great awakening, the the Jesus People movement, too, uh, grew up out of that. But literally, millions and millions and millions of people were born into the kingdom of God that responded out of the ashes of a world war. And what I see happening is that right now, if you look at Christianity across the United States, people are afraid. They feel like they're losing uh, their uh, voice. They feel like the world is turning against them. But I see what's going to happen with ISIS and this this weapon of mass destruction, that out of that, the church is going to wake up, and we will have another great awakening. And that's that's what I am uh, predicting. So those are probably the two biggest things, but there's some other stuff in there that uh, people are going to be enthralled with. 
so uh, right now at skywatchtv.com is the biggest giveaway of 2016. Uh, people need to go there quickly because we're getting ready to take that ad down at any minute now. But right now, if they get the book, The Last Emperor from Us, they also get like $300 worth of other books and movies and DVDs and files and all kinds of stuff. Go to skywatchtv.com. You'll see the ad at the top of the page. Click on that, but do it quick because we're getting ready to take that ad down any minute now. Well, and it's an unprecedented deal. Tom, in the waning moments as we wind down, for those listening who don't know you were a pastor for 25 years with all the, as you said, the rabbit holes you've went down, the work you've done, the dots you've connected, was there ever sort of a quintessential, the Tom Horn jaw-dropping moment for you, Tom? In well, your- it probably has been this last four years. I mean, you know, we've, we've been involved, and I've been a very blessed man. We were pastors for 25 years. Uh, I actually came to Missouri to retire. Uh, and now I've never been more busy. I started this little hobby called Defender Publishing, which has grown into a monstrosity. Uh, and so God has re- very much blessed that. Um, but it probably has really been the last four years. There have been lots of things that I've saw and that I've thought w- could happen, might happen. This has been the first time in my life where I actually made predictions. And I don't consider myself a prophet, by the way. I don't stand up and say, thus saith the Lord God. I don't do that. Um, it's just out of a lot of sincere research that I draw conclusions, and then some of this gets animated in my mind by the Holy Spirit. I became convinced, in other words, that the Pope was going to resign. That's why I went out on a limb and even said on television a year before he did that he was going to do that in April of 2012, and he did. And I, with the same level of confidence in the new book, I make certain predictions and time is going to tell whether or not I was correct. But I have a high level of confidence that this is going to happen. So probably the last four years, Sheila, um, and uh, and like I say, now we're going to find out. Am I right or am I not right? <laughs> well, you'll probably ignite another firestorm, I'm sure. Tom, it's always such a pleasure to have you on the program. Of course, people can find your handiwork over there at skywatchtv.com. Tom, thank you so much for your time And not only coming on the show today, but thank you for all the work you do too, Tom. Thank you for having me on your program again, Sheila. It's always a delight to be with you. Thanks, Tom. Folks, that was Dr. Thomas Horn. His information is linked on today's bio. And I want to remind people about Whispering Ponies Ranch. They have therapy horses for children. I know Hagman's did a show on it. It's on the sponsor pony link at skywatchtv.com. Do check that out. And as Tom said, he's having the biggest giveaway of 2016, $19.95 for that new book of theirs and something like $300 free books. And it's limited to quantity. And like I said, do take advantage of that amazing bundle. Tomorrow on the program, folks, I have the one and only Minister Carla Butad. It's going to be a very powerful show. And she's going to bring a very incredible teaching and deliverance tomorrow. You're not going to want to miss this. Tune in, let me tell you. She's a personal friend, she's an amazing guest, and she is a powerhouse minister, so that's going to be fantastic. We will see you tomorrow. Good night, and God bless.